Living in the Bible Belt, there is really no doubt in my mind that many people still do not mind. It does not bother them to incorporate Jesus or parts of Christianity into at least parts of their lives. You can see that, especially this time of year, you will hear Christian music, maybe even the song we just sung, playing over the radio in secular places. You will see Christmas songs, Christmas decorations having to do with Christ and the manger in places like city parades and in places like the city park. You will see lots of references to Jesus all over the place. We are not in a place yet, at least, that those kinds of things are banned from our everyday society. However, you can also see in those things and in the way that they are done, how they are only done part of the year and only parts of the Bible are incorporated, that people are comfortable only to a certain degree. That while many people do not mind incorporating parts of Jesus into parts of their lives, that does not mean that they don't prefer Jesus only on their own terms. In fact, I would say it seems like oftentimes people prefer Jesus only on their own terms. They are fine with the nativity decorations during the month of December. But what about if a crucifix hung in the public park during March? What would the response be? They are fine with Philippians 4.13 being quoted in the NFL end zone and the sign of the cross being made there. But what if the president or another public figure, a prominent leader, started quoting things like Psalm 2, that all kings of this earth must bow the knee before Christ and kiss the Son, lest he be angry. What would the response be then? That's like what it was in John's day, too. The Pharisees were okay with certain parts of Christianity. They were okay with certain parts of the Christian Old Testament as long as they got to interpret it and they got to say when it applied. When the Jews, the Pharisees, send priests and Levites to John to question him today, the kinds of questions that they are asking You can tell that they are asking them because it might threaten John preaching what he's preaching, might threaten their system of incorporating the faith into their lives. What John was preaching about the need to be baptized for the repentance of sins, that was threatening to them. Why? Because the Pharisees did not think that they had sinned. 
They thought that they had fulfilled the law. They thought that they had made all the right sacrifices and that they had followed all the right rules and therefore they were right with God. And so why would they need to be washed or cleansed or baptized for the repentance of sins? Why repent? What's the point if they've already fulfilled the law? But that's also the first thing that rubs our society, or really anyone who has the gospel preached to them for the first time, that's oftentimes the first thing that rubs someone the wrong way about Christianity. That you would, in fact, need to repent of sins. That you could, in fact, do something that would make you not right with God. I think most of our society, most people today in our culture, think that they are de facto right with God, that they have de facto fulfilled the right laws, done the right things, are generally a good enough person, that they have done the things needed to go to heaven. And so if you come to them and you say, there is a need for repentance, there is a need to recognize the sin in your life and to change your ways and to turn again to your God, that can sound kind of insane, honestly, but at the least offensive. That doesn't fit in to Philippians 4.13 in the end zone. It doesn't fit in to the Christmas decorations in December. It is outside of that purview. And so, the first application is this. Like John is bold to proclaim this message, also be bold to proclaim this message. Say sin is what it is. It is a message that our world may not want to hear, but it is a message that our world needs to hear. It is a message that we need to hear as poor sinners daily ourselves. There is sin in our lives, thoughts, words, deeds, things done, things left undone. There is sin in our lives that we know about, that we don't know about, that we need to repent of. That we need to come on our knees humbly before our God, ask for forgiveness, and change our ways. And the world needs that message too, for only it is only when they hear that message, it is only when that message is preached, that the way of the Lord may be made ready. That is why John, the one who makes ready the way of the Lord, the one who prepares the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, makes ready the way in this way that he proclaims repentance of sins. He proclaims that message to flatten out the hearts, that everyone may may be made equal before the eyes of the living God, so that the gospel of Christ may come forth. So that when those who hear that message repent of their sins, they may be lifted up by the gospel, by the good news, 
by the message of salvation that that Christ child will bring. And so be bold like John. Call sin what it is, both in your life and in society. And when the Pharisees then come to John, and he's preaching this offensive message, they try to, unsurprisingly, put him back into a box. Because his message did not fit into their boxes that they already had set up, you can see that they're trying to put him back into a box, and that's why they ask him these set questions about who he is. Now, he's focused on Jesus. They never actually asked him about Jesus. They don't ask him, are you the Christ? He just starts out saying, I'm not the Christ. But they want to know if he's one of these Old Testament prophet figures. First, they ask him about Elijah. Are you the Elijah who's going to come? Now, there's a little hidden or maybe not hidden, but a little nugget of information you may need to know about this is that in the book of Malachi, one of the last minor prophets of the Old Testament, Malachi prophesies that a second Elijah is going to come to make ready the way of the Lord. Now, interestingly, John should have actually answered yes to this question because Jesus, whenever... People ask him who John was. He says he's the Elijah who was to come. He's the one that Malachi prophesied about, the second Elijah who came to make ready the way of the Lord. But in this context, it makes sense that John says no. Because what the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to pigeonhole John into this box of this Old Testament prophet, Elijah. Are you like Elijah? And he says, I'm not. And then he say, are you the prophet? And that's referencing Deuteronomy 18, our Old Testament reading for today. When Moses said, when God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, like Moses, from among your brothers. That's not you, but that's even greater than you are. And that's actually about Jesus, the greatest prophet. Christ the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses, who everyone is required to listen to. But he says, no, I'm not that prophet either. But I think the reason that the Pharisees are asking these questions about Elijah and the prophet and these various Old Testament figures is because they figure that if John is like one of these Old Testament prophets, then they can treat him like they have treated historically the other Old Testament prophets. And you can remember back into the history of Israel how the people of Israel tend to treat their prophets rather poorly. They just kind of ignore them at best. They don't listen to the words of the prophets whenever they warn against idolatry. They kind of shove them off to the side. And oftentimes, because of the things that the prophets say, which sound admittedly a little crazy, and because of sometimes the things that the prophets do, which seem a little intense, 
like when Ezekiel has to cook over a fire made of dung or something like that. The people of Israel often would just call the prophets crazy. Oh, that's just one of those insane prophets. Don't worry about them. Just put them in that box over there. Just let them go to their own insane asylum or something like that. And don't worry about the things that they say. That's how the prophets were often treated. And so I think when the Pharisees come to John and they ask him these questions, what they're trying to do is trying to put them, put him in one of those little boxes. They're trying to limit him to Christmas decorations in December. They're trying to limit him to the sign of the cross in the end zone, but maybe not anywhere else. But one thing to notice here about John's response is the same thing we already noted about his response to sin, and that is his boldness. He doesn't mind to be called crazy. Whenever John comes, in fact, he comes like a crazy man. He's dressed in camel's hair. He goes out into the wilderness and eats bugs and honey. And he goes and he starts to baptize people by the command of the Lord, proclaiming the judgment of God on the earth. He would look admittedly insane. Nonetheless, he quotes the truth. He quotes the Bible. He quotes Isaiah. He preaches the truth of God's word no matter what. And that should be an example for you today. The world might think you're insane. The world might try to compartmentalize your faith. But take a stand. Keep a crucifix up in your house all year round. Not just in March and not just in December either. Don't just quote Philippians 4.13 out of context. Maybe read all of Philippians 4. Memorize at least parts of it. Read all of the Bible. Memorize at least parts of it. And quote them to yourself, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors. Even the parts that make you, that make them a little bit uncomfortable. Tell people where you go to church and why you go there and why it affects your life, not just on Sunday morning at 1015 or next week at 9 a.m. Don't forget the difference in the service times. But also on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Confess like John. Be bold like John. For he is an example for us in this. We should confess Jesus like that, boldly and fully. We should confess him like that because John recognized this, and we should too, boldly and fully, is how Christ comes to us.
we should preach and confess boldly and fully to those who would compartmentalize him. Because when he comes, he doesn't compartmentalize anything. His life is full. He acts according to his word in everything he says and does. And he does preach against this pharisaical system. He comes and he flips over the money changers' tables in the temple. He comes and he tells people that their father is the devil. He comes and he does things that our compartmentalizing world would not approve of. He comes boldly and fully. And if you look at John and you think he comes boldly, if you look at John and you think that he comes almost kind of insanely wearing camel's hair and eating wild locusts, wait until you see the boldness and the fullness that Jesus comes with. To use a Mississippi colloquialism, this is one of those hold my beer moments. Jesus comes with intensity. Jesus comes with fire. Yes, to preach against the wickedness of his age, but also in this way. When he comes fully and boldly, like John preached that he would, and he comes and he preaches, yes, against sin, yes, for the repentance of sins, yes, for the repentance of Pharisaism, he also comes boldly and fully with his salvation, with his righteousness. In our intro it today, we had this amazing Antiphon, this amazing verse from Isaiah 45, verse 8. Shower down, O heavens, from above. That's what our, if you look at those funny Latin words at the front of your bulletin, rerate choeli. That's what this means, shower down from above. Shower down. Pour down from above, O heavens. Let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open and salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. To use another colloquialism, when it rains, it pours. Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' salvation, when they come down from heaven, they come pouring down. He comes boldly and fully with his salvation. John's baptism, he says, was good for the repentance of sins. But one is coming after me who will baptize you with water and the spirit. And when those baptismal waters come down from Jesus, when those Jesus baptismal waters come down, they come pouring down, pouring down with forgiveness, pouring down with salvation, pouring down with righteousness, pouring down with comfort, pouring down to make you his child, pouring down to give you a new identity in him, to give you a new heart, to give you a new spirit. When Jesus comes down from the heavens, his righteousness and his salvation, they come boldly and they come fully. Not just in December, not just 
in March and April. But every month of the year, every week of the year, all 52 of them, every one of those seven days and each of those weeks, every one of those 24 hours and all of those minutes and all of those seconds too, he comes into your life, into your heart, into your mind, into your strength. Do not compartmentalize Christ in your life, for he comes pouring down. Onto your heart. Confess like John confessed that Christ. And rejoice in that Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say to you, rejoice for this Christ has come. He has come and he has saved you fully. He has come and he has forgiven every one of your sins Fully, He has come and he has spoken his word of salvation to you boldly. So let us rejoice in that Christ who comes to us this Advent, who comes to us this Christmas. To him be all the honor and all the glory, now and forever. Amen.